0: Even with that defense being great, at some point they're going to get in the shootout. He's a great coordinator, not a great head coach. I think there's one thing we're all saying for a fact. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram, also YouTube. Feel free to check that out. I post weekly film analysis reviews whatever you want to call it there. 20 minutes long every week. I am really proud of the content. I've been making there So I highly recommend checking that out. I'm also available on Twitter or X whatever you want to call it At no huddle NFL with an underscore at the end that is again at no huddle NFL No capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. So feel free to check that out I'm really excited to talk to you guys because Week 14 of the NFL season just wrapped up. It is midnight my time, so it's a little bit of a late recording for me, but hey, I'm all for it, and I'm excited to talk about a week that has been really interesting, with a lot of upsets. You know, this is normally the, t- the point of the season where fans, you know, just watchers of the NFL are starting to get an idea of, hey, this team's a contender, this team's very legit, and it doesn't feel the way that way this year, does it? Also... Jackson, uh, would you say that season is way more unusual because teams aren't really differentiating your, themselves from the rest of the pack this year?
1: You know, I, I think it's really been zigging and zagging this year. Um, last week, uh, the whole point of emphasis was it seemed like there weren't really a lot of upsets, and uh, it, it kind of moved towards the direction of the good teams are starting to separate themselves from the bad teams. And then here came week 14, where it seemed like the opposite of that happened this week in a lot of different games. Um, So, you know, I think that there are the clear top-tier contenders. Like, the Niners are obviously still the best team in football. I don't think anyone's denying that at this point. But I think once you get past that marker, it becomes a real debate for who are the other top-tier contenders are going to be those back-end playoff teams, especially in, actually in both conferences really. I don't think either conference is really closer than one another. Um, But yeah, I, I think that coming down to the wire, this is going to be a really good last quarter of football just because there's still so much uncertainty left in the air, both on the front of who's going to be squeezing into those last playoff spots and who's going to be winning the Caleb Williams lottery with that number one overall pick because, it's, it's getting closer and closer um, between, you know, the Panthers don't look like they're anything special right now, but the Cardinals and Patriots have both picked up recent wins. Uh, it's starting to look a little bit more competitive. And I think that monitoring both sides of the spectrum is going to be really interesting for this last little bit of the season.
0: And it's not just both sides. It is every level, right? In terms of the best team in the league discussion, you mentioned that title that, honestly seems to mean nothing in the modern NFL. You mentioned the title of best team in the league with San Fran, but I I find it so interesting because you just look at the way the season has played out with that specific conversation. The Chiefs were the best team in the league at the start of the season because they won the Super Bowl the last year, and hey, their defense looked really good in the first couple of weeks, but then their receivers, we all noticed how big of a weakness that was, and... It was very, very difficult for people to say that the Chiefs are the best team in the league because that offense just simply wasn't playing too well. And then, all of a sudden, it's San Fran, and they look great, but then they lose three games straight, so never mind, it can't be them. Okay, let's just go with Philly, and then they start losing games, and it's like, all right, I guess Baltimore, and then Baltimore barely beats the Chargers, follows that up with a game against the Rams that was really, really tight, and... Now, I guess a lot of people want to say Dallas, but all these teams have just been streaky. They've all been really streaky, and you also mentioned in terms of fighting for the last couple of playoff spots, after that game that happened tonight, the night that we're recording this, between the Giants and Packers, and we're going to get to it later, the Giants are in legitimate discussion to be in the playoffs this season, and that just truly is a microcosm of just how crazy this season has been in terms of how much parity there is all over the league at every level whether they're competing for the number one overall pick or competing for the seven seed in the nfc or the one seed in the afc it's all over the place it's all over the place yeah you know um uh, y- you talk
1: about the giants i i think that most people would agree that Talent-wise, they are probably not a top-seven team in their conference. But we're still at the spot right now where the possibilities are pretty endless in terms of the playoff picture on both conferences. And if they were to win out right now, they would be 9-8, and which in this NFC very likely would warrant a playoff spot. So, you know, I I think that it's going to be a very good last- Four games of football. Some very important games left to be played. Um, divisions are still up in the air, especially that NFC East. That's going to be a really, really fun one to monitor. Um, but yeah, it's this is this is really going to separate the uh, the playoff teams from the rest of the pack, and and we'll see what kind of narratives that creates once we actually make our way into January.
0: And I feel like there was no better, or very few better examples of just how much parody is going on in this league and how unpredictable the games have been during this season as the Thursday night game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Patriots. Because I know the Steelers were looking fraudulent. A lot of people would agree on that. But even if you thought the Steelers were frauds, which, like I said, a lot of people agree on, you didn't think that they would lose against a Patriots team that had the same exact issues that a lot of people would say Pittsburgh has, but to a whole nother level. At least that's how it looked going into this game, and then all of a sudden TJ Watt goes down, and the Bailey Zappi to Hunter Henry combo looks like Phillip Rivers to Antonio Gates. So, it was a really, really crazy game that went in ways no one would have expected whatsoever, Again, I'm not acting like the Steelers are some great team, although the record made it seem like that at one point. But, man, how did they lose this one?
1: Yeah, you know, coming into this one, I think you're right. Pretty much everyone would have bet the farm on the Pittsburgh Steelers winning this game. You've got two pretty good defenses. I think you could argue—I think you could make arguments for either side as to which defense is better. But it was really clear coming into this week— that the Steelers, despite all the issues they've had with Matt Canada and everything they've got going on, they're clearly the better offense than the New England Patriots this year. Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi had put up absolutely atrocious performances at the quarterback position, and it seems like you really did not have any kind of positives on the offensive line or the skill position units. This pretty clearly looked like the worst offense in the league to me, but you can never count out Bill Belichick, man especially in these tough, gritty games like this. The Steelers are a team that typically pulls those out, not against Bill Belichick. Bailey Zappi was coming out. They were finding explosives through the air. Like you mentioned, Hunter Henry had a couple really nice plays. Juju Smith-Schuster really popped off the screen to me. They were slinging the ball deep, something that we really have not seen out of this Patriots offense all season long. And the Steelers, once again, cannot find it on offense. This is multiple weeks in a row where, Coming off Matt Canada, they put up the 400 yards and then two straight stinkers. And that really goes to show to me there are more problems on this offense than what Matt Canada was doing. There are legit talent issues with this team. And I think if they keep dropping games that they should win, because at this point, they've lost to two of the three worst teams in the league, in my opinion. If they keep dropping games like this, they can kiss their winning record streak and any playoff hopes they have goodbye. Because now is the time where it really matters, and they are clearly not buckled up in all the right directions right now.
0: Yeah, I think, listen, you hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. It's part of the Mike Tomlin-Pittsburgh Steelers culture to play down to their opponents and lose games like this. There's no one denying that. If you're familiar with recent Steelers football, you know that Tomlin is going to lose games he should win while they'll also win games that they should lose, which is why it's kind of a balancing act. I still think Tomlin is a good coach. I know there's a lot of debate about whether or not he deserves to keep his job in Pittsburgh. I am not one to really strongly agree with the crew that thinks he should be fired, but in terms of this game specifically, yet the... Patriots were banged up. I know that the Steelers were without Kenny Pickett. Okay. The opposing quarterback is Bailey Zappi. Like, you gotta be able to win that game. You gotta. And like I said, the Patriots were banged up. The Patriots didn't have Ramondre Stevenson in this game. The Patriots only had three active wide receivers in this game, yet you still allowed them to have their best offensive performance in a long time. Time. This Steelers defense is supposed to be much better than that, even with TJ Watt out. But the secondary can get exposed. It absolutely can. It's been prone to it all season. The defensive line helped make up for that. But you can't rely on one unit to always cover up the other. You can't. It just isn't always going to work, especially if they want to get into the playoffs and win in the playoffs. It just isn't going to happen. And it's crazy that the same team that lost to the New England Patriots and Bailey Zappi on primetime television after losing to the Arizona Cardinals the week prior is a team we're talking about in the playoffs. That's, again, the ridiculous thing here. Yeah, I really think
1: it's time to start having a conversation about some of these Steelers front office executives because they have just really whiffed pretty heavily on their last couple drafts. You look at just the first round, Devin Bush... Had a great rookie year and since then has turned into a major bust. Najee Harris has not been the first round running back that a lot of people viewed him as. Kenny Pickett, to me, was not warranting of a first round pick. Broderick Jones, I think it is a little bit early on, but that is not a player that I was high on, especially high on enough to trade up to the 14th overall pick to select. I, I just think that their track record is really starting to catch up with them um, in terms of hitting on draft picks because. Team-building-wise, that's kind of the most important thing that you can do. And past five years or so, the Steelers really are not a positive force in that regard. So I think it's time to start having some conversations about members of this front office being long-term players here.
0: I mean, I, I feel like you got to give them their credit for their ability to work later on in the draft although I do agree the first round picks have not been what they needed to be there there's no one denying that now I want to move on to an even more surprising upset I would probably say it's the biggest upset of the week the Houston Texans losing to Robert Sala and the New York Jets this was a game between two former defensive coordinators of the 49ers and the more experienced head coach ended up winning this game. Obviously, no one expected the game to play out this way. How do you feel about the New York Jets giving the Texans offense a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble, and the Texans defense allowing Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson to both have monster games, probably Zach Wilson's best game of his career.
1: Yeah, you know, you're definitely right. You saw some major strides out of Zach Wilson this game. Um, I, I think that with with all of the controversy stuff that had been talked about last week of maybe he doesn't really want to come back into the starting role with New York, um this did a really great job to to put a cap on that. I think that this Houston defense, um, and their whole roster in general is pretty incomplete. Um, but I think that that really comes to show if you're if you're letting Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson dice you up that heavily. This game speaks two major volumes to me. The first is that you really should never be counting out the Jets defense, right? This to me is the best defense in football. when you look at the depth along the defensive line, insane play out of their linebackers this year and the members that they have in their secondary. It's just a really hard unit to push the ball on. Um, And any any given Sunday, they can shut a good Texans offense down to just six points. The other thing it says to me, I know I just called the Texans offense good. That's mainly because of CJ Stroud. The rest of it feels very incomplete to me. They are one of the worst teams in football at running the ball. Damian Pierce has been a huge bust coming into year two. And Singletary, while deserving of their RB1 role is not someone that should be your franchise running back by any means. And the receiving room is still very incomplete. Granted, Nico Collins did go down early this week and they did not have tank Dell, but I still don't think that they have the proper options to really attack deep down the field in the passing game. Um, I love CJ Stroud and he is obviously, obviously going to be your quarterback of the future. There's no reason to move on from him. But I think it's time for this Texans team to start investing in the pieces around him. So it'll be really interesting to see what their team-building strategy going forward is. But I think that both sides of the ball could really use some refinement.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you there. The Texans offense all of a sudden looks very pedestrian. Very pedestrian. And part of it is the Jets defense doing a phenomenal job. Phenomenal. Truly electrifying defensive performance. I would say it, if not the best, is one of the best offensive, sorry, defensive performances of the season, right? I I mean, the job they did was truly electrifying. And it's the main reason they won this game. It is. Because the Jets' offense, while they played well, it wasn't an amazing, like, light the scoreboard up type of game by them. They controlled the ball, which was all they needed to do, in all fairness. But they were also only 6 for 15 on third down, which isn't great. I mean, it isn't awful, but it's not great. And now that I'm mentioning the third down conversion rate, I want to call more attention to the fact that the Texans were only 1 for 12 on third down. And I think that was the real difference here.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I they just it, it was clear in pretty much all facets of the game that they weren't able to push the ball in any sense of the manner. And like you said, part of that is everyone has a really tough time doing that against this Jets defense. But I, I really wonder how different this would be if you gave a true, true weapon to this Texans offense. And maybe that's Nico Collins or Tank Dell. Um, but I, I still think that they're lacking that, 1a type receiver where it just opens up so much in the offense and i think it was something that they were very clearly lacking on sunday
0: well i think it helped that their guys they look at almost like a 1a receiver were gone i mean let's call attention to that i don't think that this offense is in complete need of a complete overhaul. I think the run game definitely needs some assistance, but with Nico Collins healthy or tank Dell healthy, the offense would have looked a lot better. I don't, I don't feel like you're giving that enough attention here. I I think that that is a major loss for them. No,
1: Uh, it it is. Don't get me wrong. And I think it would have been a different game had they been there, but I mean, Nico Collins and tank Dell as productive as they've been this season they're are still like very small, limited role receivers. They are. And okay. I think if you, I think if you add that tier one guy, and and I I understand that's a big ask, but if you were able to add like a Stefan Diggs caliber player, yeah. yeah, um, which you know don't necessarily grow on trees, but if they were to to have that true wide receiver one that we have seen, really help young quarterbacks take major steps in their game, I think that that would open up just so much with this offense and I think it really would have assisted them today or yesterday I guess I should say
0: yeah I mean it does help them too this upcoming receiver class is pretty deep so I heard yeah they bring in someone that has a full skill set and not only will they produce obviously but it will also open more opportunities for the tank dells of the world for the you know Noah Browns of the world for the Nico Collins of the world. I i mean, yeah, I'm not going to deny that at all. So I want to move on to yet another major upset. This one between two division rivals, the Detroit Lions lost to the Chicago Bears. The Lions, much like the Steelers, are a team that has looked extremely fraudulent as of late, and it's partially because Jared Goff hasn't been playing great, but it's mainly because that... Detroit defense is really fighting to earn the title of worst defense in the NFL.
1: So, yeah, this is just a – oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, I was just about to pass it on to you, so I'm glad that you caught, cut me off there. So go right ahead. What Perfect. do you want to say?
1: I, I was going to say this is just a squad that seems to really be getting cold at the wrong time. Um, Like you said, that defense is – is starting to get in serious, serious contention for worse than football. And like you and I talked about last week, it seems like there just aren't a ton of guys that you can really consistently rely on at all three levels of the field. Brian Branch is a dog, but pretty limited to being a more downhill box safety type of player. Aiden Hutchinson is a fine pass rusher, but I think today if any game showed that he should not be the number one option, he was getting stonewalled by Darnell Wright and broke contain on that last Justin Fields touchdown, the, uh, 30 or whatever rushing touchdown was completely on him. Relancing his own stunt to the center because he didn't want to go against Darnell, Wright. Um, that's a really bad look for him. Um, and like you said, offensively, Jared Goff has, has really, really struggled. There's been some times where, you know, this season, if he can sort of fit within the system he can look like a competent game manager, but when that comes crumbling down, there's very little left in the tank for him to be able to improvise and work outside of the structure of the offense. The Bears are not a great defense, but as long mm-hmm. as you can force Jared Goff to sort of get away from what he's used to, I think it's pretty easy to to bring this offense crumbling down. So that sort of goes to show having a game manager quarterback like that, unless you have a Niners-type supporting cast where you just have the Monstars helping you out. A game manager quarterback is really only going to take you so far. It's really really important to have one of those top tier guys on your offense.
0: There really is one specific thing that you said there that I I I just don't think you're giving enough respect when you say it. This Bears defense as of late has played really good football. They have. And it's not just the offense is looking bad. This young defensive unit, specifically the secondary has severely outperformed expectations. And I know people clowned the trade for Montez Sweat. But the truth is, and you could look at this for yourself, if you look at the Bears' defense before they got Montez Sweat and the Bears' defense after they got Montez Sweat, completely and utterly different. Since they got Montez Sweat, they have been a force to be reckoned with on the defensive side of the ball. The secondary, like I said, it's a young unit, but you can see them communicating. You can see them doing a really good job passing off zone coverage, which is something very important in the Eberflus system. And then the defensive front, Billings doing a great job. Of course, I mentioned Montez Sweat, the linebackers that they paid. These guys are doing a remarkably good job. They have been great ever since that Montez Sweat trade. And I don't think that when you blame golf, and I'm not saying golf had a great game, but I don't think you're giving enough credit to just how much of a force this bears defense is because you watch the tape, they look spectacular. And I this think, has I, been I, a I'll thing for you, the past couple weeks. I will
1: I will give you credit on, on the Montez sweat take because I know that there was a lot of really poor narratives around his name when he was coming to Chicago and he is absolutely been a positive force ever since he's come there but i i really still think that they are lacking another positive pass rushing force i i don't think they they have that outside of him sure. and i'm not quite as sold on the linebackers as you are i think they've gotten better since they played earlier in the season But to me, they're still very negative value given how much money they're making. I have never been a huge Tremaine Edmonds guy. And I think while in the offseason, I was a fan of the TJ Edwards signing, given the value, I I really don't think that either of them have been super positive impact players with this defense. And I do think that you're right about them trending up. But from what I saw earlier in the season, I, I really don't think that this is an incredible, incredible unit. And and you are right about the secondary. That is a group that has absolutely blossomed and looks like one of the better groups in the league. I think even with that considered, the Bears defense is hovering around league average. Nothing incredible. Not, not necessarily a force to be reckoned with. And it's something that you would expect, I think, a structured, safe Jared Goff to be able to, to slice and dice. Uh, But the Bears, to their credit, did a really great job of getting him out of his spot. That is the exact way that you game plan for this Lions offense is bring down Jared Goff. Everything else will come crumbling down with him. And they did a great job of that on Sunday.
0: And I I think the key thing was the ability to stop the run game. I thought that that was a major, major accomplishment by the Bears in this game. And I think that that is an underrated aspect of why they were able to to win this game but let's talk more about the defense that we both agree on we both agree that that detroit defense is horrendous and i know that we said it last week and i know we sound like a broken record because we're going to continue to say it over the next couple of weeks because i don't see much changing anytime soon i just want to call attention specifically to the first touchdown of the game that the bears had where dj moore was in the wildcat formation he took a direct snap Justin Fields was lined up out wide and they had him go across the formation on the snap of the ball. DJ Moore was running towards him and he kind of faked a handoff to Justin Fields. It was a strange play, but if you go back and watch Jack Campbell and what he did on that play, it's almost like they put him in factory reset because he just, you could see his mind just like explode. Mid-play, mid-play. And this is a player that's supposed to be a great processor, you know? And it's something you notice on almost every Detroit Lions defensive snap. There's always at least one individual that you're just like, is he? Did his controller get unplugged or something? What What is happening here? How is this guy, an NFL player, doing that on this play? It's constantly baffling. And to me, I think a lot of it falls on coaching. I do. Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, I don't understand the respect he gets. I I really don't. Some people even talking about him as a potential head coaching candidate. Some people with a, a lot of respect. Ian Rappaport said it on the McAfee show. And I'm just like, this guy? The the guy who coached this defense is getting head coaching talk? Why? It is beyond confusing to me how, first off, we thought this team would be a legitimate contender when their defense is playing like this. And then, two, how Aaron Glenn isn't getting fired this minute.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you mentioned Jack Campbell. That was a pick I hated. Personally, from day one, I don't think he ever deserved to be a first-rounder, and nothing I've seen so far is really proving me wrong. I think it was either last week or two weeks ago he ended up getting benched mid-game, and obviously he's found his way back to the field. But you mentioned just mental errors have been something major with this defense. I'm also not at all moved by the secondary. You look at that that free play, DJ Moore touchdown. All it was is guy jumped offside, so the offense says free play let's go long dj moore runs a streak route and by the time he gets you know 15 20 yards down the field he has a full couple yards of separation on i'm not absolutely sure i think it might which cornerback was joseph. covering i think it joseph. might have been kirby okay. joseph i think yes because all it was was just man-on-man coverage down the field moore had him burnt and you know moore's obviously a great receiver but you want someone that can at least run stride for stride with them there's just very little to me about this defense where I think okay that absolutely moves me
0: yeah and there's one last thing I want to ask you before this before we move on to the next game the Bears and the discussion about their head coach has been interesting all year and a lot of people were leaning towards Iberflues being fired My question to you, do you think that this game with how the defense is playing? Now, you don't think the defense is playing overly great, but do you think what he's done with a young defensive unit, what he's done with a young team, getting them to start winning games like this one against a division rival, will be able to save his spot as the head coach of the Chicago Bears or not?
1: You know, I, I think if you are able to Come close to winning out these past few games, and and the defense looks as good as it has, um, maybe. But to me, Eberflus has been a lot more of a net negative than he has a net positive. I mean, you look how ugly this team was the first two or three weeks of the season. It, it looked like there were college teams that could beat the Bears. There was just so little about them that you felt was buttoned up, especially schematically. They just weren't using the linebackers properly. And while, to their credit, they have cleaned up some of their mess, I think that there has been more bad than good that has come from Eberflus' tenure right now in Chicago. And I think part of that is the lack of development with Justin Fields. I understand that he is more of a defensive-minded guy, um, but that hire never really made sense to me, given that you had an incoming second-year quarterback at the time that's the development that you should be focusing on and and i think that both regards he has failed more than he has succeeded um especially if you intend to move on from justin fields i would much rather bring in an offensive guru who i feel is going to help develop my quarterback of the future
0: and a a lot of people have been saying that same exact thing i understand both sides of the argument here on one hand you want The offense to progress you want to bring in that quarterback of the future and you want to develop him properly but on the other hand do you really want to ruin what you have going with this defense and again i i know me and you differentiate in terms of our opinion on the defense and how they've been playing but i just look at a young defensive unit that i thought was going to be really bad and they have really surprised me even if you don't think that Maybe the linebackers are playing too well. You got to give credit to guys like Billings, who's a young guy, homegrown talent, who is playing great in the Eberflu scheme. You got to give credit to me and you both agree on the secondary. Kyler Gordon, the way he's playing. Tyreek Stevenson as a rookie, he's playing great. Jaquan Brisker is another guy. You got to give credit to him because it seems like all these young defensive players he brought in, he's made them into superb players players
1: yeah i i think it's fair um the, the the player development is something that i think has looked solid from the defensive side of the ball um to me though i think if you let him go these players aren't going to get worse yeah um Maybe. and 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 right now schematically there is very little ever does currently or ever did when he was the defensive coordinator of Indianapolis that suggests this dude is playing creative head coach worthy okay. football. Yeah. Um, he, he was I, I never, think...
0: he was never reinventing the wheel. Uh, 100%. Right, right. But he coaches up the soft zone defense really well. He coaches players really well in order to execute a, Relatively simplistic and vanilla defense. No, he does. He does. I. I think
1: that I don't value that incredibly well. I, yeah, I think. Sure. I. I, would... I think
0: there's absolutely two sides to this argument. I. I completely agree. It's a tough one. It definitely is. That's why I want to hear your opinion because it, we both disagree on this, and I'm glad because there 100 is two sides to this argument. Yep. Yeah. I.
1: I think you know. You, you you talk so much about the young talent. I, if you do have young talent on a defense, I think you need to maximize that schematically. And I don't think, like like you say, soft zone coverage, very vanilla stuff necessarily does that more than just let the players be good. And I think if you're bringing in a little bit more creativity to the team, you know, the players aren't going to regress because of that. But the the scheme, I think, could help create some more advantages i guess i should say for these young players and and i think letting go of eberflus in the long run would not be a net negative for this team
0: i i think there's definitely two sides to that argument and i'm very glad that i was able to hear yours now i want to move on to another game between two division rivals the buccaneers playing us the falcons in atlanta a very good duel between two teams fighting for a playoff spot. People forget the NFC South is definitely not very good, but all those teams except for Carolina are currently fighting for a playoff spot. They all are. And all of them want to get that playoff spot. This is a matchup between two teams that pretty much decided, at least who is currently on top of that division. How do you feel? about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their marginal but still extremely impactful win over their division rival Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, you know, last week when I was
1: on here, you asked me who I thought was going to be representing the NFC South in the playoffs, and I told you it was going to be Atlanta. I think I'm going to flip my answer. Um, I think that this game, to me, showed that Tampa is is going to be the team to do it because, well... The Falcons have the ability to sort of matriculate the game away where they're beating you with these small chunk plays through the run um, and then maybe establishing play action, blah, 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 kind of easing into the passing game. The Buccaneers, I feel, are a lot better at remaining explosive. Um, The deep balls look really, really nice to uh, Mike Evans specifically. Baker was able to come against a not-bad-by-any-means Falcons defense and lead a game-winning drive. That, to me, was pretty moving. Um, And I think that they – I really like what this team has going for them right now. That being said, I don't think whoever wins the NFC South is going to be – they're not going to do anything in the playoffs, right? I think they'll lose to whoever the five-seed is. Um, but I, I do think that this game has sort of swayed me in the other direction as to which mediocre team will be winning this division.
0: And I love how you don't sugarcoat it, because it doesn't need to be sugarcoated. No matter what team wins it, and any given Sunday, we t- we've we been talking about it all episode, there's a lot of parity in the league this year, but I think everyone is pretty confident Whoever represents the NFC South is going to lose in the first round. Now, is that actually what's going to happen? I don't know, but it's a safe bet to say that. Now, Tampa Bay, I mean, they won this game because of, like you said, their aggressiveness on the offensive side of the ball. The defense isn't anything too spectacular. This game was a shootout, and in a shootout, a lot of it comes down to the quarterback. And who was the better quarterback on this day? In this game between the great Desmond Ritter and the also legendary Baker Mayfield, it was Baker Mayfield on this specific day. And I'm not overly surprised by this. I think that Baker Mayfield is truly establishing himself as a starting caliber quarterback, one. And in some of these games, it leaves you saying, hey, you know, he's not just a starter. He looks like a legitimate guy for a team a legitimate guy to build your offense around and part of it is this offense having all these weapons and i just want to say tampa bay drafts a stud quarterback and is able to keep some of these guys around like mike evans like chris godwin you know that they could be really good like don't think just because brady's gone All of a sudden they're horrible. Right? Like if they really wanted to, they could take that same approach that they did with Brady. Trade for a I don't know, who's a quarterback that might be on the market? Trade for Tyler Kirk? Kirk Cousins. Trade for like a Kirk Cousins. You know, maybe make a move for a couple more defensive pieces and hey. You know, this is a team that could win a playoff game or two. You know, this is a team that could be really legitimately threatening. And, you know, let's say Rashad White has a breakout. And, you know, they just get a little bit of help, a little bit of guy, a couple of guys take big steps. I don't know, Kalaja Kansi has a sophomore breakout. This Buccaneers team can be a real force. They they really can. Like, they have the pieces to do that they still do even though brady's gone although there is 100 percent something that needs to be done at the head coaching spot there absolutely does now yeah i know i know not many people are going to agree with that take because again they're not a flashy you know you don't watch this team and you say hey you know you got a different quarterback It, it truly does look phenomenal for them but You really think about it. You look at the pieces that they have. You look at the fact that they're able to elevate Baker Mayfield into looking like a stud at times, and it makes you really confident.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, In in terms of where they're going to be next year, um, quarterback-wise, I I really agree with what you said about potentially landing Kirk Cousins. That, to me, is a lot more likely of a possibility if they do win this division, given that they'll be picking in the 19-20 to range. If they were to lose this division, they'll probably pay- be picking just outside the top 10, if not in the top 10. And there's a there's a certain Heisman-winning LSU quarterback who is really, really moving me on the tape. And, and maybe they won't be in the range for him, but I think at a minimum they'll be in the range to trade up for him. Because there will certainly be a couple of teams in that sort of top 10 range who won't be looking to get a quarterback, who would not be opposed moving back a couple of spots in a really deep class like this and getting a major haul pick-wise. I think both of those paths would suit the Buccaneers very, very well. Um, Kirk Cousins probably be, be probably being better for the short term. Jane um, Daniels being the better long-term option. Um, but I, I really like what, what this team has ahead of them. Um, in terms of the head coaching thing you say, I agree I'm not a huge Bulls fan. Um, but one potential replacement, I believe, could actually be in-house. Their their new offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, has been to me a home run hire. He was the quarterback coach and wide receivers coach in Seattle for years, um, and this is this was his first time designing a real offense. And to me, he has been an absolute home run for Tampa Bay ever since they hired him. I wouldn't be surprised if they do decide to get rid of Bulls if if their hire is currently in-house and i think canales is a future head coach one day maybe that's not within a year but i think he'll be someone that's at least considered for the position if it does open
0: yeah and again we're saying all this stuff about how baker looks so much better you know maybe that's a big reason why maybe he can truly be you know uh not just a head coach but one of the better offensive minds in the sport because Yeah, he's done a great job elevating an offense not too many people had high expectations for. There's no doubting that. Now, let's talk about one of, if not the game of the week. Rams at Ravens. This was a duel between two teams that are very, very legitimate. I mean, I got to give the Rams their credit because I did not give them enough credit on the prediction pod. The Ravens were the team I picked to win this game. I know there were people hyping this up to be really close, but personally, I just looked at it in bad weather. Ravens coming off a bye. Ravens are just a more talented team. It was very difficult for me to pick the Rams. It it really was. In bad weather, I'm going to pick the team that's better at running the ball, and the Rams are good at running the ball, but the Ravens' rushing offense is absolutely unreal. The weather did not have the impact I expected it to. Simple as that. Nakua, Cooper Cup, Stafford especially, all had field days. I mean, some of the throws Stafford made. He he made a touchdown pass to Cooper Cup with a defender directly into his face, but he still put perfect, a perfect amount of air under the ball just to loft it directly into Cooper Cup's hands. It, it was an absolute beauty. It was an absolute beauty. Uh, overall, yeah. I just look at this game, and I'm just like, man. First off, I, I guess the Ravens' defense I expected to play better, but I'm more willing to give Sean McVay his credit here. I'm not gonna act like the Ravens are frauds because they played this game tight and they still end up winning because of an amazing overtime kick return. But I'm not gonna act like the Ravens are frauds because this game was tight. Instead, I'm more willing to give Sean McVay that entire Rams team their flowers because it w- it was an amazing performance by that team. I think I fall
1: very, very hard into the category of people who did not give enough credit to the Los Angeles Rams coming into the season. Um, I filled out a uh, schedule predictor for, for every team. The Rams came in at a whopping 2-15 and 15 for me. And while I wasn't necessarily alone in my distrust of the Rams team, it did blow up in my face. And I I've seen earlier this season – that I'm clearly wrong. Um, And this was just another example of that. Matt Stafford has really returned to the form that he was with this Rams team when they won the Super Bowl, if not better. He is getting the ball out so incredibly quickly and the windows, he is not only testing, but hitting consistently. Oh my God, they're beautiful to watch. Some of those throws to Nakua have just been gorgeous this year. Absolutely incredible what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball. In terms of the Ravens, Biggest standout performer to me, Keaton Mitchell. Now, I don't know what they're going to be doing this offseason because I would not be surprised if they go out and add some weapons in the running back room. But if you are listening to this podcast right now, write down the name Keaton Mitchell because he is someone that you should be taking in every single fantasy draft next year. And I know I'm not a big fantasy guy, but this dude is electric. The burst on him Oh my God, it is different. His start and stop ability is some of the best I've ever seen out of a running back and really makes me wonder how this dude went undrafted because it's really rare you see that kind of athleticism. And I think whenever you have a sort of superpower at the running back position, it's at least worth a day three flyer. And he's proving to not only the Ravens, but the entire league right now, why that sentiment is true. And I really think that he is the running back right now of the Ravens' future. He pairs incredibly well with a rushing quarterback like Lamar Jackson. And I think that the production and the volume is only going to be going up for him right now. So I love, love the future ahead for Keaton Mitchell.
0: Now, what do you think it was that allowed the Rams, a objectively less talented football team, to really keep up with the Ravens until the very last minute?
1: You know, part of it is McVay being a schematic wizard. Part of it is this offense is much, much better than I think their depth chart may suggest. Stafford is one of those ones right now at the quarterback position, and the duo of Cup and Nakua is one of the best in the league. Um, I think that this team right now, I I, I do agree that they are – less talented than the Ravens, I don't think that the gap is as big as a lot of other people think so. So I think part of it is incredible scheming from McVay. And I think part of it is this offense and this team as a whole is really, really slept on.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, you got to give McVay credit for his ability to just draft these guys and just make them – Ten times better than anyone would have expected. I know, I, I feel like I say this every single time that I talk about McVay, at least during the season. It's been every time I talk about McVay and how he's been able to build an offense out of players that he drafted, that he wanted, and just build the offense entirely in the vision that he saw when drafting those guys. But I just have to say it again. McVay drafted these players for a reason. You know, Steve Avila. Great zone blocking guard. So what are they going to do? Run a lot of inside zone. Who's going to be their ball carrier? Well, their running back, who is very good at running inside zone, Kieran Williams. Oh, what about throwing the ball? We want someone that could, you know, get the ball into the tight windows, allow our guys like Nakua that are big bodies to make plays. Okay, Matthew Stafford, just zip it right in there. And Nakua, of course, the big body to kind of be the Calvin Johnson to his Matthew Stafford ironically, because he is Matthew Stafford himself, and then Cooper Cup, just someone that could get open constantly, It, it it's phenomenal, it really is just a team building master class it, it, it's a great job by then, the Ravens defense, I did have higher expectations for in a game like this, and I know I'm giving the Rams offense a lot of credit but I do think this was one of the worst games that the Ravens defense has played this year And part of that was Kyle Hamilton going down. Kyle Hamilton has been a blue chip for them. I've been saying he should be at least in the discussion for defensive player of the year. I probably think winning it. But him going down is huge. Huge for them. I, I mean, that was such a huge difference maker in this game. Absolutely. I agree. He
1: is one of the best players in football right now. I also don't think it was necessarily a banner day for Marlon Humphrey. Humphrey or the rest of their cornerback room part of it is though the Ravens pass rush thematically has been really really sound this year that doesn't really matter if Stafford is going to be getting the ball out as quick as he has been Mm -hmm. this season and this game was a great example of that
0: Mm -hmm. and it's tough because the Ravens find a way to kind of make the offensive line not matter because they're just gonna have a free rusher on at least 20% of the plays. At least. But again, it doesn't matter because Stafford, it's not even just getting the ball out quick. He will hold the ball until the very last possible second he could without getting sacked. Like, if he holds the ball for even like a split second, not even split second, like a nanosecond longer than he did on about 10 of the throws he made, He would have been sacked or he would have fumbled. But he's a, he's Matthew Stafford. He fears no man. He fears no God. Very simple. That's why I love him. He's my favorite quarterback ever. And it's for reasons like that, just the complete lack of fear going against the NFL's best defense or what has been the NFL's best defense all season. And just fearing nothing, fearing no man, just going out there and being like, Oh, Hey, uh, Patrick queen is rushing directly into my face. Oh, now Roquan Smith's doing the same thing. Doesn't mean anything to me. I'm just going to zip it right into my big man, Nakua. Who, by the way, Nakua's a freak of nature because he got injured, came back for this game, and just balled out like it was nothing in the pouring rain.
1: I mean, you you said it. There's just so much talent on this Rams offense that I think goes really, really unaccounted for. And I think... It it makes sense why they are one of the most underrated teams in football right now. And Mm -hmm. especially when you factor in how low pretty much everyone, including myself, was on them going into the season.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And again, I'm not panicking over the Ravens, although I don't think this was a great game by them defensively. The offense played well, 100%. I mean, Isaiah likely made some plays. They flowers. He's an animal. I'm glad to see him get more of a role on this offense. And he was always getting a role, but I'm glad to see him kind of be the featured guy. Now OBJ made plays. It, it, it really was a great showing. Now, let's go from talking about the most interesting game of the week to, let's be honest, these are two teams no one could care less about. And it sucks we got to watch them play against each other twice every year. The Panthers played against the New Orleans Saints... In the Superdome, Saints won like we expected. Do we really care? I, I mean, I know I don't. Yeah, it's good the Saints won. Now they're one step closer to making it to the playoffs and losing in round one. That's great for them. The most interesting thing that happened here was Jimmy Graham catching a touchdown. It, it wasn't a good game. It, it really wasn't. I mean, the Saints blew them out, which says a lot about how bad the Panthers are. But did the Saints show us anything overly impressive? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm going to keep my
1: analysis on this one pretty short because I think everyone kind of understands what happened this game. Um, This was a a pretty mid-team going up against a pretty bad team. The talent on the Panthers' offense is non-existent outside of Bryce Young. And while the Saints don't really have much to show for themselves and didn't really give us much to show for during this game, they certainly have the better roster than the Panthers, and it makes sense why they blew them out of the water
0: well so you say outside of Bryce Young but my question to you is at what point do we say Bryce Young you gotta do a better job than this because and I know he's not in a great situation there's no denying that you know new head coach new offense all, all that stuff I get it the offensive weapons aren't good the line isn't good I understand all that but this guy was the first overall pick he's When he has an opportunity to show us something, when he has an open receiver, like, for example, I want to say with Jonathan Mingo, he ran a post. He had a lot of separation, and Bryce Young overthrew him, right? And you saw it a couple of times in that game. Young ended that game with a horrendous stat line. Then you watch the game itself, and it's not just a box score that makes it look like that. Young himself had a bad game. He objectively did. So at what point do we say, Bryce Young, you were the first overall pick. You gotta be able to elevate the offense. I know that it's not a great situation, but you have to be the guy that kind of allows the offense to score more than this. At least keep these games closer. Maybe not win them an extra three games, but at least keep these games closer. Because he he has been part of the problem, at least this year. I'm not saying he's a certified bust Put him in there with Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell. That's not what I'm saying. But at this point, he just hasn't lived up to the expectations, even when you do factor in the situation he's in. He has been part of the problem, not part of the solution.
1: It's true. Um, I I think we're a ways away from that point, given there's going to be bumps in the road for any rookie quarterback. And I'm no Bryce Young fan. He was my quarterback three in this draft class, so naturally... I did not love the pick um at number one overall. Um I really would have rather seen Stroud or Richardson in a Carolina uniform. Um, but you know, I, I think the the general rule of thumb with rookie quarterbacks is you get two years, mm-hmm. maybe three, to show us something. And especially that that especially becomes the case when the offense is as as talentless and schematically devoid of anything really that impressive as it is so there, there has been flaws with young but i am really willing to give him a major major pass for this rookie year
0: and sure i get it and again i'm not calling for the guy's head right right i i just want to stand out here and say like you know this is a quarterback that wasn't branded as like some project he was branded as ready to start Even if it's not day one, he will start his rookie year. You know, he he looked, compared to other quarterbacks, ready. This isn't some project guy. So that's part of the reason he went number one overall. And then he comes out, and you say, like, you're willing to give him a pass. Fine. And you say that, okay, you know, he's done a little bit of bad stuff. He's had his bumps in the road, which, again, happens with every rookie quarterback. But the difference with other rookie quarterbacks is you'll see a bump every now and then, but then you also see the occasional flash. Bryce Young, we just haven't. Bryce Young, there has not been, like, more than five good plays that he's made. There, there really sure. hasn't. Like, I'm at a point where I really struggle to say I have any optimism because of what he's shown me this season. I really
1: do. It's, it's true. It's it's fair. Um, I think the difference with Young, why I'm willing to to ride that horse a little bit longer is, you know, even coming out of college, he was not really someone who branded their game off of this really strong improvising gene. And while it wasn't a weakness of his, obviously, he's someone who... Much more definitively won from within the pocket and within the structure of his offense, and that just doesn't exist right now. Is that so? I, is that how
0: you feel? I guess you and I had some different opinions on him then because I felt I,
1: like... I did not love him as I mean, you know, he gets compared to the short quarterbacks pretty frequently in Kyler and Russ. I think both Kyler and Russ were far, far better. you know getting outside of the pocket yeah they had a much bigger arm where they could unlock those throws outside of the numbers i did not feel the same way about young and while i thought that he was a good improviser i don't think that he is this like lamar jackson patrick mahomes where he single-handedly gives life to the play i think he is good at finding stuff when the play breaks down Mm -hmm. um and hasn't that hasn't quite translated as much as you thought but you know compared to those other shorter quarterbacks he is much more sound at sure. throwing over the middle of the field there's much less mistakes pre-snap stuff like that I-, I think he is more of a pocket passer than a lot of the quarterbacks he was compared to um so i i think uh i'm i'm willing to really let it ride out for at least at least another season and see if things improve
0: yeah again i i'm not saying the guy should get replaced like that's not what right I'm here right to. i'm just here to say all this treatment like oh everyone except bryce young i don't i don't agree i think he is part of the problem as of right now he is and the situation sucks i'm not denying that but the fact is he was the number one overall pick you gotta show us more than what you show so far i mean like even trevor lawrence trevor lawrence had a bad situation but he still showed us some flashes that left us saying, like, damn, he's going to be a good quarterback in the future. I don't feel that way about Bryce Young at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a legitimate concern. I, I, I mean, I think you and I are actually somewhat in the same boat. We're not calling for his head yet. Um, he has not performed to the standard. But my thing is just let's let's give it a good amount more time and and see what he shows us year two and beyond.
0: Yeah, I I feel like that's very fair. Now, I want to move on to the Browns game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. This game, it was a fun one. It, It was a fun one. Seeing Joe Flacco go out there and just have another good performance in a Browns uniform, it feels so surreal for him to go from this, you know, Ravens legend to now the guy operating a Browns offense that will probably go to playoffs it, it's really it, it feels so strange I, I really don't know how to describe the feeling I get watching Joe Flacco play well in a Browns uniform it, it really is weird but hey you know I'm all for it I'm all for seeing this Browns defense not get wasted I'm all for it and speaking on the Browns defense the main point that I want to make about this team is the fact that their cornerbacks. Even without Denzel Ward, had a day, man. They had a day. Martin Emerson is a certified dog. Certified dog. And Greedy Williams also made some plays. So, overall, how do you feel about this Browns game against the Jacksonville Jaguars?
1: You know, I I think it's really weird to see Joe Flacco be doing anything at all, given his last stint in a Jets uniform. Involved just check down after check down after check down. He was clearly very, very skittish from within the pocket and him being more aggressive, a lot more, you know, willing to attack the deeper parts of the field. Really big surprise to me. Um, not something that I had on my bingo card going into this year. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, that makes me feel good about the Browns offense. And I do agree with you. I think that they will have a playoff berth this year. Um, as for their defense, I don't think I'm quite as moved by it as you are, um, but I, I do agree with you given that their cornerbacks without Denzel Ward had taken some pretty major criticism over the last few weeks. They did step up to the task. Where they really got cooked was over the middle of the field. Evan Ingram was absolutely eating. Um, the Jags were also able to operate a lot through you know, green game. They weren't able really to to run the ball, but there were manufacturers that they could find to to attack this team through the air. And granted, it's a good Jags offense. Um, but I but I don't think that this Browns defense is quite the the top, top tier unit that we were looking at going into this year. Um, I think my other takeaway is good response by the Jaguars. You know, last week on Monday Night Football, Jake Browning and company were able to run the ball down this team's throat, and they responded in a really major way. The Browns rushing attack really was not incredible and I know it's not supposed to be without Nick Chubb but you know when Joe Flacco is the quarterback back there you would think that the efficiency of the running game would really be dipping and it just hasn't so you know credit's where credit is due
0: now we we haven't con we haven't commented on the defense that's much like Detroit making a run for the worst defense in the NFL discussion Jacksonville you know, they they were off to, you know, a early stint where that defense was looking really good, or pretty good, not really good, but they looked closer to the league average. But then they saw Detroit really making that decline, and they were like, oh, man, if we want to get that title, the prestigious title of worst defense in the NFL, we're going to have to really start to have some busting coverage. So they were out there making Njoku look like, I mean, Rob Gronkowski mixed with Travis Kelsey mixed with Tony Gonzalez? Like, is that too much of an exaggeration? Or, or am I not giving him enough praise in that statement? Because, <laughs> I, I mean, Najoku, what, what the hell was going on there? He was just lighting it up. that I think the Jacksonville Jaguars legitimately forgot what play action is. Forgot it was legal. Like there were plays where it actually looked that way, and it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but you watch, you watch that first Njoku touchdown, and it's just like, this is the NFL. Did you, did you Madden right bumper up on the right stick predict run up middle in real life? And everyone just went towards the line of scrimmage. Didn't see like you didn't have a single player out there, not not one person. Just saw David Njoku. Number eighty-five, starting tight end, just run out there, wide open. Not not a single individual saw that. And then it, it would be one thing if it was just that one play, but then the Browns continued to just decimate Jacksonville using the play action game. It, it really is fascinating how again, they they really are the Detroit Lions of the AFC, a team that we thought would make this run to the playoffs is out here with a defense that is legitimately dysfunctional.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you said. I also think that the secondary has been a major, major disappointment. Tyson Campbell was someone who, you know, last year, I thought he would be taking a jump into a star, star cornerback. And that didn't show necessarily as much this game, but he has been really bad these last couple weeks. He got absolutely babied by Jamar Chase on Monday night football. And I think that there is just, outside of josh allen a lot on this defense to really really be concerned about going into the playoffs
0: yeah i mean t- no kidding right even like andre cisco was having a great season and now where is he is he, i honestly am questioning whether or not he might be hurt because i just don't hear the name anymore
1: <laughs> yeah
0: right i, yeah, I mean am i wrong he was lighting it up early in the season no he
1: was yeah yeah like first first few weeks i felt like he was like a a young star kind of coming out,
0: and then he's just he's just vanished. He's nowhere to be seen. He's out here letting David Najoku just go nuts out of nowhere. It it really is insane to see a again a team everyone thought would be in the playoffs. Some people even had them in the Super Bowl discussion, and the defense yeah, looks this I, bad. I mean,
1: I mean they were my one seed when I went through and picked every team's record. And part of that was pretty weak strength of schedule. But I I thought that there were gonna be a lot of jumps on this team that just really haven't happened. Trevor Lawrence, I would not say, has been the tier one MVP caliber quarterback that he probably could have been this year. Um, Lots of really lackluster performances on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, And I think, you know, this is a rough spot to be in when you're in a pretty tight divisional race with Houston, that was not supposed to happen at the beginning of the year. This is this is no time to be slacking. And I understand Houston just dropped a bad one to New York. But, you know, it's, it, it's time for the Jaguars to kind of get their act together.
0: Yeah, I now want to move on from one AFC North versus AFC South matchup to another. The Indianapolis Colts lost to the Cincinnati Bengals and Jake Browning. Is it time to say that Jake Browning and this Browns, oh, sorry, Bengals offense is legitimate? Or how are we feeling? Do we feel like it's just another fluke? H- how exactly do you feel about the entire Jake Browning era of Bengals football? You know, I, I'm i
1: not willing to call it fluke. I think it's a good backup caliber quarterback that is getting caught at the right time. Um, there is a lot with Browning that does not suggest to me like, yeah, this guy's going to earn himself a starting role going forward. The offense is not quite unlocked as I said last week and plenty of times he is missing open reads. Um, but you know, very competent quarterback who is able to get it done on a week to week basis. He's a cheap option that I would love to have as a backup quarterback. Um, and I, I think he's really doing well for the Bengals right now. Joe Mixon had another pretty solid game. Um, the, the the Bengals offense really was just firing on all cylinders against a not awful Colts defense. Um, and it, it's really interesting to see given how hot they were getting with Gardner Minshew now in a backup versus backup game where they had won a lot tougher games in the past few weeks, they finally come back down to earth. And I think that kind of goes to show what we talked about at the beginning of this episode where, this week was a week full of kind of spicing up the parody of the league right now, and I think that is a really good example of that.
0: Yeah, and I like that you mentioned that the offense isn't completely unlocked, because it isn't, right? You watch this Bengals offense, and you know what? I I know I did this last week, and I'm gonna do it again. Zach Taylor is a coach that I was never a big fan of, but I gotta admit, he has done a good job hand-holding Jake Browning. He absolutely has. The screen game, stuff like the screen to Chase Brown, who made a great play, uh, ran that all the way into the end zone. It truly was a spectacular effort by him. And then, you know, the play action. It's out there a lot more. They weren't running much play action with Joe Burrow earlier this year. Even though Joe Burrow was dealing with that injury, they're doing a lot of stuff to really hand-hold Jake Browning. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's perfectly fine. My question is is why didn't they use this stuff to help a clearly injured Joe Burrow earlier in the year? That's what I don't understand, but that's besides the point. Currently, we're looking at a Bengals team that is rocking with Jake Browning. My question is to you, do you think that this team can make a little bit of noise in the playoffs with a limited playbook and Jake Browning taking snaps at quarterback? You
1: know, I think... Depending on who their matchup is going to look like, I think it's possible that they win a game. This is not a team I see making any deep, deep playoff runs. Um, but I, I think that Jake Browning is, is good enough to get it done against maybe one of the weaker AFC playoff teams. Um, I'm really glad you mentioned Chase Brown, uh, because he has really, really impressed me over the past two weeks. The burst with him similar to Keaton Mitchell, is just off the charts. His stop and start ability is really, really apparently there. Um, I love what he brings to the table. Um, I, uh, I, I'm i also glad you mentioned oh, – what was it? You said something else that that really sparked oh, – oh, talking about why didn't they not handhold Joe Burrow. To me, why did they not bench Joe Burrow? If this is what they had in Jake Browning, mm. let him sit out the first few weeks of the season. I really think that they would have had – a better chance to win some of these games than what they were doing the beginning of the season. Cause they dropped some ones that, you know, if you gave them to them right now, they would win. In my opinion. Um, I, I just, I think that's a miscue on the Bengals coaching staff and you know, it's, it's, it's in the past right now. They're they're doing well enough that they could reasonably make the playoffs and potentially even win a game when you're in there. Uh, But You've put yourself in bad position. If you gave the Bengals two more wins right now, you'd be feeling really, really comfortable about where you're at in terms of the playoff picture.
0: Yeah, 100%. I am not denying that at all. Now, let's move on to a game that I'm fully convinced didn't actually happen. The Vikings apparently played against the Raiders, but if you were only watching the games on Red Zone, which... Luckily, I was not. I also had the Sunday ticket on a different TV because I'm spoiled. Oh, well, lucky. <laughs> uh, lucky. If you yeah. were just watching the game on Red Zone, though, you probably didn't know this game was happening because nothing happened. It, it wasn't a real football game. It, it's a lie. It's a lie. In all seriousness, though, the football gods decided it would be far too much offense if both Justin Jefferson and... Josh Jacobs were healthy. so of course the football gods had to strike them down just to ensure we ended with a final score of three to nothing. Yeah, it, it was that bad. Uh, how did you feel about this quote unquote football game?
1: Well, um like you mentioned, Red Zone viewers didn't really get to see a lot of this one. and unfortunately for the listeners of this podcast, I am a red Zone viewer. Um, So not a lot of clips were really flying across my screen. Um, I do know that Josh Dobbs ended up getting benched. Not too, too shocking to me. I understand he started off really hot, uh, but there's a lot of his process that just is not very NFL caliber. Um, Aiden O'Connell is giving you more and more reason to, I I don't know if you saw the report, um, but there was a report saying that everyone in, the Vegas front office wanted to grade up for number one and select CJ Stroud. And it was vetoed by Josh McDaniels who wanted to stick by his guy, Jimmy G. I think that the the current options right now in this quarterback room are are really proving why Josh McDaniels was such a net negative for this team because, you know, I feel comfortable that CJ Stroud could put up more than three points if you placed him in the Raiders, uh, situation right now um, and I, you know Aiden O'Connell fun fun preseason player but the pocket presence is is ugly he he does not know how to hang in the pocket correctly um, dog of a game bad teams bad players on each team I don't really know what else to say other than that
0: I don't want to deny a report because obviously I don't have sources like that not yet at least uh, mm-hmm. but I I feel like now that Stroud is really good, all of a sudden every team wanted to trade up and draft CJ Stroud. I don't know if I could believe all of it. Now maybe, maybe, but they did also just bring in Garoppolo. I don't know. I I find that unlikely, but that's pretty irrelevant. Now, point is they went into the season with Jimmy Garbage Garoppolo, and they suffered the consequences. Aiden O'Connell was very clearly, like, his mind exploded when he saw the first snap of that Brian Flores defense, and he was forced to look at that for the rest of the game without a lead horse with Josh Jacobs gone, so he couldn't lean on the running game to kind of help him, you know, have time to decompress, understand better what he's seeing, Instead, nope, he was forced to win this game with his arm, with his mind. And he couldn't do that because Brian Flores is a mastermind and Aiden O'Connell is a rookie. You gotta feel bad for him. Uh, Once again, I'm fully convinced this game wasn't real. And the sooner we stop talking about it, the better it is for everyone involved. So let's just move on to the absolute slaughtering that happened between the Seattle Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers. What else is news? San Fran dominated yet another team, another division rival. Who would have saw that coming? I mean, come on. San Fran is a buzzsaw. I've been saying it every single week since their three-game losing streak. They're, they're, they're completely different. They're on a different tier from everyone else. And yeah, the three-game losing streak was concerning, but they're a different team now. They're out here feasting blood. Okay? They, they want to absolutely dominate every single team in their path, and they have been doing it. How do you feel about this game? You know, you, you
1: mentioned it being a blowout. The, uh, the box score, or the scoreboard for that matter, might not reflect that idea as much as it is true, um, but you hit the nail on the head. They, Seattle did not come to play, and granted, it was a Drew Locke start instead of a yeah. typical Geno Smith start at the quarterback position, so... When you're going into a game without your starting quarterback, it's it's pretty hard to win, especially against a team like this. Um, but man, from the the start of the game, San Francisco kind of imposed their will on this Seattle defense. Um, and they should have had 35 if it wasn't for that late Brandon Ayuk fumble um or the the tipped interception that went through Ayuk's hands right to to Julian Love. Two turnovers that you could easily give back to San Francisco. Um, and you know, if if those went for points, you're looking at a much uglier scoreboard than what we have right now. Um, but you know, like this, like I said last week, this this San Fran supporting cast is literally just the Monstars. It's it's absolutely insane. And it makes me hate that Brock Purdy is in MVP talks right now because I think when you compare him to to a Dak Prescott, he is much more a product of his surroundings um but yeah man there's just it everyone understands it at this point san francisco is the team to beat in the nfl
0: yeah absolutely and the 49ers because they're so loaded at literally every spot they're able to abuse any team's weakness and that's not just the oh your o-line is weak on the interior like seattle's is let's take advantage of that no, it's also, oh, you have a wide receiver that tends to get a little bit rowdy uh, when things aren't going his way. Okay, let's make sure to get in his face constantly and not just take advantage of the weaknesses on the you know depth chart. We'll also take advantage of the mental weaknesses on some of your best players. It just says so much about how they are as a team, and I'd love to see it. I do. I know a lot of people hate A team like San Fran, that will get in people's face and, you know, bring all this energy. I think it's great for the sport. Screw you guys. I I love seeing it. And I'm super glad that a team like this is the best in the league. I I truly am. Also, Debo Samuel. uh, He really is trying to make a case that he is the best offensive player on San Fran. I don't know if I feel that way, but he's definitely the best right now. He's definitely been the hottest. It doesn't really matter why compete against your own teammates. But at the same time, it's a fun conversation, no?
1: I think you could rank any of the five superstars on San Fran's offense between the four skill position players and Trent Williams in any order, and you could convince me that that is the right order because all of them are just the absolute top of their class.
0: Yeah, and... It's interesting, too, with Ebo, because it's not just him being used in the common, you know, uh, oh, he got a swing pass, or he got a screen, or he got a jet sweep. Now he's going to make crazy stuff happen after the catch. He also is just beating people deep. Like, he absolutely embarrassed Jamal Adams on, I believe it was a post route. And for some reason, they had him as the single high safety. And, yeah, he just ran right by him. It, Deebo Samuel was unlocking the route running aspect and that's really threatening for every other team in the NFL.
1: Yeah. I I think part of that touchdown was Jamal a not being super heads up right there and B not having quite the same speed and explosiveness that he had before the horn quad tendon. Um, But I mean, I, I don't really have much more to say about this game. This, this team is, your Super Bowl champions.
0: Yeah, it it looks a lot like that right now. It sure will suck when they have four or more quarterbacks go down, and they have to have <laughs> Christian McCaffrey throw passes again.
1: What a shame! Off. What a shame!
0: A- anything to make sure that Shanahan doesn't get a ring, right? Football guys.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm all for it as a Seahawks
0: fan. <laughs> well, speaking of rings, Kansas City, uh, looking like. You know, they might not even be the best team in their division. It's looking pretty dire for them right now. They're probably still going to be in the playoffs, probably still be in the race for a ring. But the fact we're even questioning it, I mean, I'm not used to saying that about a Mahomes-led Chiefs team, huh? The Buffalo Bills, they they played them and they won. Uh, Say what you want about that controversial call. Do you want to address that off the bat or do you want to talk about the rest of the game and then get to that penalty because of course modern NFL we have to talk about a big penalty.
1: You know, I'm uh I think I think we get it out of the way given that that was the uh the biggest event of that game. I don't know where your thoughts lie on this. I think I I don't blame the I don't blame the refs one bit. No, I'm in totally.
0: agreement. I'm in complete agreement with you there.
1: Okay. Perfect. Because because I do understand the argument of You should not let a game be decided on such a. What's the word? They want to
0: say ticky tacky,
1: a a technicality, right? Like that—that's the word they want to use. But this
0: isn't a technicality. This is. I get it with like a questionable PI, but something like this. There's a very clear indicator of whether or not you're breaking the rules. Right. Very clear. for, for those of you who are listening to this and are
1: not really familiar with the receiver position, it is your job every time, especially when you are a receiver lined up on the line of scrimmage, you check with the ref to make sure that you're on sides. And the report came out today, Tony didn't check. And, you know, he obviously cost his team in a really big way. That's, that's his fault.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not just that Tony didn't check, by the way, because a lot of people watch the clip and they're like, people are dumb, you know, he clearly did check in this clip right here, I I don't know if you saw that tweet, but someone posted a video from, like, a, uh, a recording of it from a bleacher standpoint, uh, or a fan standpoint, and it was very clear that he did go through the motion of checking, but you notice he instantly turns back to the ball, he doesn't look at what the ref is saying, right, I, I mean, it, it's an awful job, and... Listen, I'm not gonna throw too much hate at Kadarius Tony, but that being said, he was very uh not nice to Giants fans, and I live with a lot of Giants fans, so he has a special special place <laughs> in my hatred heart. Uh yeah, you know, he's not very smart. He he really just isn't. He has a lot of athletic ability, but you need to have the brains and the bronze to play in this league, and he just simply doesn't. He simply does not. And listen, it's great that he made that play, but it didn't matter because he also did the thing that eradicated it. And I just find this really interesting because this year, my my senior year of varsity football, I actually had a very similar thing happen. We won a game on a post route to a receiver on our team. Uh, He's like 6'3", and he runs ridiculously fast. He's pretty much just Calvin Johnson if he was white. Uh, and also in high school varsity football. <laughs> but still, the point is, he caught a post route, took it to the house with, like, I, I want to say there was, like, 30 seconds left. And guess what happened? It got called back because there was a receiver offsides. Oh, man. And, yeah, it sucks when you're there in person, but I didn't do what Patrick <laughs> Mahomes did and say it was an awful call instead. I acknowledged, hey, you know, That happened, and it sucks, but no one said it's going to be easy. You got to keep marching, and we didn't end up winning that game, but the point is that that wasn't a fourth down. That didn't happen on fourth down. They still had opportunities after that, and that doesn't make the call any better if it were a bad call, but first off, it isn't a bad call, and second off, you still got to make the plays after that. I think Mahomes was very clearly caught up. I think the rest of the team was very clearly caught up on that play, even though they still had opportunities after that to still win the game, and they didn't take advantage. And I think that's something not enough people are focusing on.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I'm not going to be one of those people that comes out and says, like, I lost a lot of respect for Mahomes. And while I understand it, at the same time, like, I've been there, I I know how it feels to to lose on something like that. And it can be, while what he did was, you know, wrong, in terms of what he was saying to Josh Allen, it uh, it, – i, I understand kind game. of where he's coming it's from. It's an
0: emotional game.
1: Right, exactly. It makes like, a lot of sense.
0: But that be Emotions said,
1: are our emotions are gonna run wild. Yeah. Um if you wanna win, you gotta I, take
0: advantage of those next couple downs, which he had.
1: Exactly, he exactly. If if you are going into if you're going into your last drive with seventeen points on the board, you can't blame the entire game exactly. on the rest.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Like there 100%. were there were other opportunities to capitalize and the Chiefs didn't. Simple as that.
0: And why do you think it was that the Chiefs weren't able to capitalize for the rest of the game?
1: You know, um, I I didn't watch this game start to finish. I, I more because you know, like I said, I, I watch Red Zone, so I saw the after clip. Um, I I did see multiple drops. Um, I it's been a theme that has rung true for this Chiefs offense all year long. The receivers are just not getting it done. Um, it looked like that was a pretty major theme of what happened today. I, I didn't get a great look at their defense, but given they held Josh Allen and company to 20 points, I, I find it hard to believe that they didn't do their job. Um, but you know, I, I think it's I think it's a pretty basic answer of the receivers were not for not fulfilling their duties once again.
0: Yeah, and listen, that's been the story of their season, right? It absolutely yeah. has. Now, the game itself was a far more defensive game than we're used to seeing between these teams. But there were the occasional big plays, like the James Cook scene up the middle. That, that was huge. And by the way, James Cook had a monster day. Along with that, Josh Allen had a... He was very clearly the better quarterback in this game. Josh Allen played an insane football game. I mean, he was breaking tackles. He made... A couple of passes, like, running on the sideline, pretty much. And, you know, one of them, (laughs) Latavius Murray didn't do a good job taking advantage of, which sucks because it would have been an amazing play that would have pretty much ensured that the Chiefs didn't even get the ball back to blame the officials for the game being lost. I mean, Josh Allen just played an amazing game. The entire Jets team was making, or sorry, Jets, where did I get that? The entire Bills team was playing a really good game defensively, too. Both defenses played very well, like you said. But the big thing here was the big plays. There were big plays on both sides, but the Bills were able to make more of them, and that's why they end up winning the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, now tell me this. Is it time for the Chiefs to completely panic, only being one game ahead of the Denver Broncos, or how exactly would you feel right now as a Chiefs fan?
1: I think if you have Mahomes on your team, you should not completely panic. Um, I, you know, I, I think if I was a Chiefs fan, you gotta understand like, you you've had your time, you have had plenty of success the past five years or so. It's eventually going to come to an end, um, and that's not necessarily to say that it is coming to an end right now, um, but looking at this team, they are. Not by any means the number one team in football like they have consistently been over the past however many years. Um, and as long as you have Mahomes playing playing like he is, you're going to be a really good team. And so I think that there needs to be some some pretty large adjustments over the off season. But I don't think, oh my God, my, we're never gonna win anything again. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm keeping some optimism with the Chiefs fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I, I think, again, it's not the end of the world if you're not the winner of your division. You can't always win your division. Right. Not everyone can be like Brady playing in the AFC East, and all the teams around you suck. You know, it's not always going to be that way. Uh, Denver's a good team, and, you know, that's why I want to move on to talk about them and beating another team in the AFC West, the LA Chargers. Denver does damage. They know how to play these games. I, their games are very strange because they're very, they're a very big play dependent team. But I mean, they make those big plays. The defense forces turnovers, and then the offense will make a huge chunk play to Cortland Sutton, who, by the way, he's probably the most perfect receiver. Or I'll just say this: Cortland Sutton and Russell Wilson is the most perfect quarterback-wide receiver marriage in the NFL right now. Just because a quarterback that wants to throw it deep, a quarterback that throws a really good deep ball, a quarterback that places the deep ball really well with a receiver that loves to catch the 50-50 ball, great at catching through contact, always is thirsting to make a big play happen, it's a match made in heaven right there. So you got to love it. And then the defense, like I said, they force turnovers. That's what they need to do, and they do it, and they do it well. The Chargers didn't play too well. The offense just sucks, frankly. What were your big takeaways with this game?
1: You know, I, I agree with everything you said about Cortland Sutton, and I think with Cortland Sutton, praise needs to come. It's very Judy hatred. I really think that it's time for the NFL community to come together and realize how big of a bust he truly was. Absolutely terrible performance from him today. He had one drop on like a sixty-yard pass that was yeah, a pretty that. severe underthrow by Russ, but he ended he up tracking it, it pretty well, and the yeah. DB completely lost it, and it was like the equivalent of like a muffed punt. Like mm-hmm. he was sitting right under it, under it, and it just went right through his hands. Um, and, it, and then in another so play,
0: much. it hurts so much. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it hurts oh, so man. much just because. Judy was like my first ever wide receiver draft crush. Okay, so, so it yeah. sucks to see how terrible he's been. But yeah, he just has been bad. But you you could carry on because yeah, yeah. no, I mean, it, I it's mean, deserved. It's deserved. He's not playing well. Yeah,
1: dude. He, I mean, he had another play that game where Russ hit him wide open in, in the crossing route in the end zone. He caught it and had every opportunity to get two feet in and gets one in and takes a huge step with his left foot and his his toe barely goes out of bounds and you know if he really had the body control of an average NFL receiver he could have gotten pretty easily 4 or 5 feet in if he's tiptoeing um but man like i understand why people like jerry judy because very flashy route runner you know it's 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 not uncommon that you see him on some like instagram mixtape or his just innate ability to create separation really consistently, but awful, awful hands, tons of mental errors that come from him. I mean, it's just, it is not translated the way that a lot of people have thought in terms of the chargers. um, You know, Herbert didn't have a great game and then ended up going down. Um, It's I, I know we were talking about maybe the chiefs panicking. I think this is the real team that should be panicking because I know that you still have Herbert, and you're going to have him for the next really long time. But until Tom Telesco is fired, I really don't see any way that this team builds a competitive competitive roster around him. Because, man, the rest of the players on this team are just pitiful, man.
0: And even if Tom Telesco is gone sometime soon, let's not forget how much money he, he devoted to the upcoming years in oh, order to maximize man. this year. So even with a new GM, there's still problems that are gonna be going on that'll hinder this entire franchise for a long, long time. Yeah, it's bad. They they are definitely a team that should be panicking, especially because me and you both know they're doing nothing with Easton sticking. Also, by the way, Oh yeah. Kellen Moore, do we is it time to take back every compliment we ever gave the guy? You because know Um I I, think I don't that know. I'm losing a lot really of confidence, confidence in the guy. I think there I, are I, 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 I get it. But listen, the offense, the offense isn't playing well. It just isn't, and they have some talented guys, but it's not working. And I feel like you have to blame the offensive mind in charge. I don't like Staley, but he's a defensive coach. He's the head coach, the defensive coach, and Kellen Moore is the offensive coordinator. He's the more offensive guy. He's the guy who takes more responsibility for the offense and how poorly they've been performing. I don't know who else you blame for the poor performance. I mean, Eckler hasn't been good, but it's not all one guy.
1: You know, I, I think that, like, a couple years ago, two years ago maybe, you were hearing a ton of talk about him potentially landing a head coaching job. Yeah. And Maybe that's just because I live in Boise and for a Boise state legend like Kellen Moore praise for him is about as common as rocks over here. Um, But you know, I, I, I think that I'm willing to leave him at the OC job just given like this offense outside of Herbert is so devoid of talent. Like is it's it really hard to is scheme up.
0: I think so without Mike Williams, it is with it is without, like, it is without um, Mike Williams and the offensive line hasn't been playing too well fine not
1: yeah not at all and like yeah. there is like, nothing that they Keenan, can do in Keenan terms of the Allen's running game a good
0: receiver i then... think Keenan
1: Allen's a fine receiver i think athletically he has really taken a dip over the yeah, past 2 a- years or so and and there's one... there's strengths in his game
0: yeah he's still one of the smartest receivers in football he's still a great route yeah. runner like he he is absolutely a weapon that a lot of offensive coordinators would utilize to an absurd absurd amount and frankly he has. So okay. But then I mean how much of the blame for the Quentin Johnston pick do we give him?
1: Right? That's a really good question. I really wonder about how much he had a say in that. I, I don't know. That's a little bit above my pay grade.
0: Well it's um, no one knows. To... But
1: Yes, right. Um, I'm willing to place a lot of that on Tom Telesco, just given yeah. how many errors he has made in the team building um, over the past couple of years. But outside of that, I really don't know. I think there, there's no way that Kellen Moore wasn't in on the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's, that's just, I, if you were to tell me that he was a major, major pusher for Quentin Johnston, um, then maybe I'd change my mind, but I think I'm not really going to take that into account just because I don't. Really know, like, if only I could have been a fly in the room in their draft room. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, man, yeah.
0: again, it's something we that's... won't know the answer to, but it's definitely food for thought. It absolutely is.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's something to consider.
0: If only we knew a little bit more about that. Now, let's talk about Kellen Moore's former team. A team that, I mean, if you ask me, has looked a lot better without Kellen Moore controlling the offense. We got to admit, Mike McCarthy has made an offense that fits directly what Dak Prescott needs. He gets a lot of control on the line of scrimmage, and it's working. It's working well. Dak Prescott's playing the best football he has in his entire NFL career. Contender for MVP. I mean, it's truly really all going great up there. And they played against a Philly team that you could tell is exhausted. You could just tell. And they took it to him. They took the fight right to them. They said they could have dropped 50 on them. And, frankly, I believe it. They picked them apart. Why do you think it is that this Philly team, beyond just the pure exhaustion of their recent matchups, why do you think it is that they just look so bad compared to how they looked in, you know, the couple of weeks before, let's say week 10 and earlier, they looked so much better? Why do you think this decline has happened?
1: You know... Um, I, I think that there are a few things. Uh, offensively, they aren't making a ton of sense schematically to me right now. Um, you and I sort of talked about this last week, but last year when they represented the NFC in the Super Bowl, their identity was completely based on the rushing attack. And this year, it seems like they have completely walked away from that. Um, and maybe that's because the running back talent in the building isn't quite as good. You know, the offensive line maybe isn't quite as good, but I still think, you know, with Jalen Hurts, with that good of an offensive line, you you should still be leaning on that heavily. Instead, it's a lot of Jalen Hurts in gun or empty packages where he's trying to read things out, and that's just not his strength right now. Um, it, not, not to say he's bad at it, but I like Jalen Hurts a lot more when the run game is emphasized. Defensively, I think that, the secondary has taken a step back. This is not by any means been a banner year for Darius Slay or really any of the other members. And while the pass rush is pretty good, it feels like that's the only true elite unit on this Eagles team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think part of it is schematic issues. And part of it is, you know, when you bring back pretty much every single starter on a team, guys are going to get older and they're going to have declines. And we're seeing that a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball than on the offensive. Um, but I think there's an array of issues right now. And you know, even though they started out at ten and one, it really felt like across the league it wasn't a, you know, dominating ten and one. Like yeah. like I, no one really acknowledged them as the best team in football. I think at any point this season, mm. I don't um, know at about least that. consensus wise, at least okay. like they were never a consensus number one like San Fran is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I, uh,
0: yeah, that's, that's sort of my answer to that question. Well, so I look at it, I, I'm going to be the person to say it. The Eagles O-line is not this insanely efficient unit like it once was. I, I'm sorry to break it to the people, but it really isn't. Cam Jurgens hasn't been good. He hasn't. He just simply hasn't. Even Jason Kelsey who gets, you know, this great reputation because he was so good for so long, and he's a Kelsey, all that. Eh, he's alright. He's not like... You don't see them dominating the line of scrimmage like they once did. They really don't. I'm not saying that about Dallas, though. Dallas, on the other hand, their offensive line is killing people. Tyler Smith, you see what he's doing? He is murdering opposing defensive linemen. Zach Martin, even though he's an older guy, he's still great. This offensive line is... Exactly what people consider Philly's O-line to be. But no one's talking about the Dallas O-line. Why is that? I don't get it. Doesn't make any sense to me. Everything that Philly is kind of seen to be, that's that's what Dallas is, right? This team that, you know, they really take it to you. Oh, they have kind of a one, they really, they have one receiver they could really rely on in all situations. We all see AJ Brown that way, but in all, reality, in all honesty, it's Ceedee Lamb that's playing better football. Okay, and then defensively, which team has the more threatening pass rush? I, I would say, I would say Dallas with Micah Parsons. Are you kidding me? And then the the secondary, which team, you know, which team is doing all that damage in the secondary? I would say Dallas yet again. Dallas is beating them in pretty much every facet of the game. Pretty much every facet of the game, I would say Dallas is the better football team. I would. And it looked like it here. Again, I'm willing to say Philly is exhausted at this point. But it's not like there's a bye week coming up anytime soon for them. They might be exhausted now. It's only going to get worse. The good teams can fight through that exhaustion. I know they played a lot of tough football games, and now they are tired. Visibly, you could see it. But that doesn't matter. It, it, like, there's no excuse. There's nothing I, there's nothing I could tell. Philly right now. The the facts, are, the facts are they just need to man up and they just need to get through it. And it's tough. And they might not be able to, but Dallas is able to get through it. Dallas doesn't even play teams tight because they know how to run away with the lead. Philly didn't do that. And because of that, they had to play a lot more tough football games. And because of that, they're where they are now. While Dallas, they're running away with leads and they're going to be sailing smooth into the playoffs. When Philly... I mean they're really going to be struggling on their way there. This
1: uh this Monday night football game between Philly and Seattle is going to be a very very telling tale for both teams, I think. Both yeah. teams that are in kind of a cold skid right now um and are fighting for not necessarily playoff spots, but playoff positioning, I guess I should say. Um and man, I I think that this is going to be a very very interesting week of football coming up.
0: Before we move on, we gotta give respect to Brandon Aubrey. We have to. I'm uh, he is a weapon. He's an absolute weapon. I mean, possible MVP. Po- possible MVP, Brandon well, Aubrey. Potentially, maybe. Potentially, I mean, we're, he has a be- Were we voting the wrong cowboy? He, maybe he has a better case than Brock Purdy. <laughs> it's true. At least he's the best t- player on his unit. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brock Purdy's like the fifth, sixth, even. Like, yeah, you know, maybe. <laughs> I, I could see it. Yeah. Yeah, but in all honesty, man, it, like, jokes aside, Brandon Aubrey, he is a weapon for them. He makes a 60-yarder. The, the crowd is just like, oh, okay. Like, Dallas fans are so used to Brandon Aubrey drilling every single field goal being automatic that they, they don't care. Dallas doesn't. They're just like, okay, yeah, we're used to it at this point. Oh, we're putting the field goal unit out there. Okay, just add three points to the scoreboard right now. Don't even bother to kick it. It—he's it, automatic. He is automatic from all ranges. It's insane.
1: I smell an all-pro nod coming his way. How often do you see that for a rookie? Can't be. Can't I, be too I often. Forgot.
0: He's a 27-year-old rookie. Yeah, and he didn't even play college ball. It's insane. He's yeah. he's ridiculous. He and he truly is like an asset. There's very few kickers that are legitimate assets. He is a kicker that's a legitimate asset.
1: Absolutely. I'm I'm a big valuer of the kicker position and I think when you find a kicker like that who it's a great combination of laser accuracy and big range, I'm willing to pay them top top dollar.
0: Mm-hmm. And Aub- Aubrey deserves every single cent. He he deserves Absolutely. every cent. Now, let's move on to whatever the hell we're supposed to call tonight's games. The <laughs> Packers at Giants. Uh, what the hell, man Green Bay's looking oh so good. You know, they beat they beat the Chiefs, you know, they're doing all this stuff. And then they go out here and lose to the Giants and Tommy DeVito Trap games are one thing, but come on, this is on prime time. You're just starting to look this good, and then you lose to them? What what are we supposed to be saying here about this Green Bay game? Because I'm legitimately shocked.
1: Yeah, um, weird, weird game for them to, to come down to earth here. I think Jordan Love looked really, really panicky. The only time where I was starting to get moved was...
0: The uh, two minute warning on. You would say um, in the panicky. You would say panicky with love because I looked at it. I thought that some of the problems were almost it's a double edged sword with love because on one hand there was a really good throw to Wicks when there was a defender right in his face. I'm pretty sure it was Thibodeau right in his face, and he just threw a laser right to where it needed to be. And to me, it's just being calm in the pocket, too calm, because he later went on to throw a pick because he just ignored the pressure. Instead of stepping up, he just threw it, and it ended up being a pick. He underthrew it because there was pressure right in his face. I feel like Love's problem, and he's a young player, so it's to be expected kind of, not too much experience out there. His problem is that he's playing it almost too casually. I wouldn't really say panicky is the term. Unless, I guess there were specific plays where he did look pretty panicky, but I'm willing right. to lean more towards the, you know, he's too casual out there. I don't think, I don't think he was
1: panicky in the sense that he was bailing from pockets. Oh, okay. But, I mean, I mean, he looked like he was on crack out there. Like his, his feet are never, never resting on the ground. And maybe he's
0: too much confidence in the arm, you think.
1: It could be. It, it could be, but, um, yeah just a just a weird like down to earth performance from him um but i think once we got to that two minute warning when when they were in the red zone i really started to get moved um he had that really great ball to to romeo dubs who didn't quite have the body control to get that second foot in. i think that separates the good receivers from the great right there mm-hmm. we saw a very similar play from mike evans this last week against yeah. atlanta where you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do because I had right? him on
0: my fantasy team and he got me exactly. one point eight, so I was praying that he would catch it.
1: <laughs> yes. So so uh Evans didn't quite catch it, but you see like that foot that was in the air, he makes a clear effort to just punch that toe to the ground. You didn't see that out of dubs, and that's exactly why that play did not go for a touchdown. Um then he threw the one to Oh, I'm forgetting his name. The dude who ended up catching the touchdown. Oh, I for, remember. Uh, it
0: was like his first touchdown. of this. Yeah. Yeah, number
1: 18. Yeah. I can't remember um,
0: the name for the life of me, but yes.
1: Yes. He threw it to him, um, middle of the end zone, caught it right on his chest, and then like two seconds later, the cornerback comes in and breaks it up, and they ended up saying that it wasn't a football move or whatever. Incomplete pass. Very next play, finds him. Great ball to the outside part of the end zone. Um he catches the touchdown in the process of knocking the ref over. Malik. Um, and I think that we'd be. Keith, yes, that's that's who it was, yeah. Malik Keith. Um, I think that we would be talking about this game a little bit differently. Um, in terms of, the Packers had Tommy DeVito not led a game-winning drive. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I the only time where I was truly moved by Love was that two-minute warning on. Um, but then the Giants, man.
0: What their a defense, great performance! Their defense
1: played really well. Absolutely, and that is not something that we have consistently seen throughout I mean, the entirety of this they season. They knew,
0: they knew they had to force turnovers in order to win, and in, in giving credit to them, they they did it. They did it. They forced the turnovers they needed to. Now they the first two turnovers they forced. They didn't take advantage of. So this could have been even more of like a you know whooping towards uh, Green Bay. But still the point is, Tommy Cutlets, Tommy DeVito, you know, he he made the plays he needed to. He absolutely did. I, I mean he looked good out there. He looked good. And Green Bay's defense, I I mean, yikes, man. Yikes, they were bad. But I also want to give the Giants their credit because, you know, Wandale Robinson made plays. Tommy DeVito, like I said, made plays. He didn't get sacked all game, although there was one time where he pretty much got sacked, but he fell forward past the line of scrimmage by like an inch. So it didn't count as a sack, but still, the point is the line held up better than usual. You know, it, it was a good performance by New York. Like they, they earned the win. They did. They played winning football. But at the same time, Green Bay, you can't, you can't let that loss happen. I know trap games happen, but when you're fighting for an NFC wild card spot, you gotta make those plays in fact they i mean them winning the division didn't seem completely out of the realm of possibility now i find it very unlikely
1: yeah absolutely i mean you know like that's a that's a must win game and a game that could be pretty easy to win um you have seattle knocking on the door you are sharing the same record as the rams like as good as they've looked in the past however many weeks the playoffs are no given right now. You can't be dropping games like that in December of all times. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see how, how buckled up they are for the rest of the season, but that was a concerning, concerning look for their playoff hopes.
0: Well, you know what was more concerning than that? You want, want to know what was it even more concerning? Oh, well, I want to know. The Titans beating the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> the, the Dolphins, I was willing to say all year, oh, they're just going to be first-round or maybe second-round exits because whenever they play against a really top-tier team, they completely crumble, they completely fall apart. Yeah, well, I also thought that it was a given whenever they play against a bad team or a below-average team, they are guaranteed to win. There was no team that was better at losing to high-caliber competition while also beating low-caliber competition. And I guess I was wrong because they can't They can't beat the low-caliber competition consistently anymore. You know what I think it is? And maybe this is me trying to predict the human aspect of the sport too much, but I think it is when Miami plays against a team that isn't afraid of them, isn't afraid of what Tyreek Hill is going to do, isn't afraid of, you know, uh, Tua and the explosive offense, they lose. The Dolphins don't know how to beat a team that isn't afraid of them. But then, when they play a team that is afraid of them, when they play a team that is afraid of Tyreek Hill and all that stuff, then they'll be able to drop 70. I think that's truly what it is. And Mike Vrabel isn't going to let the Titans be scared of anyone. If you're going to be scared, you're not going to play for the Tennessee Titans. Not under uh, Vrabel. Not under him. So, this is what I think led to the win happening. Of course, a big part of it was Tyreek Hill, who I think officially should be winning MVP now. Uh, A big part of it was Tyreek Hill not playing for a large part of the game. But still, I mean, the Dolphins have to win that game no matter what. And they didn't. They got smoked. The run game didn't really get going, and that really surprised me. Uh, Without Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle was also hurt, this offense really falls apart. Hill absolutely deserves MVP right now. Lock it in, please, because the offense, once again, completely falls apart without him.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to be quite as as harsh on the Dolphins because, like you said, when your two best receivers go down, the offense falls apart. I think that's true for pretty much every team in the league right now. Sure. And, like, you look at the splits. Sure. Tyreek Hill went but down. How, the
0: how much better is Tennessee's receiver core than – Miami's receiver core without those top two guys, I I think it's a good amount
1: better. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins had a really really nice performance today, and outside of Hill and Waddle, who are you really working with? Cedric Wilson, Cedric like, Wilson,
0: Braxton barrios right? Mean, like
1: like gadget guys, like yeah, like gadget know one guys, who is... but
0: like you have I don't want to say the husk of D Hop because D Hop can make plays. But then it's like hop did Nick, make plays today. I mean yeah, that, well, that
1: deep ball it, it, the was, of the it was end the first half, like, that
0: was sweet. It was pi. It, it was. It was. But
1: like, regardless, the the ability to haul that in, sure, like, shows that shows that there's
0: life at least. Sure. in Sure. I, I get. Like, I would still say Tennessee has an advantage, but it's not like some huge advantage in the receivers. Right. I right. Don't, 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 don't get I saw, me wrong. I saw the receivers going down as more of a balancing act than anything. There's still don't no don't excuse. get me wrong. There's still no excuse for Miami not to be able to run the ball better than they did in that game.
1: Right, right. Don't get me wrong. Miami still should have won that game. But I think, like, seven points in the first half as opposed to 20 points in the second half when Tyreek Hill came back, that's a pretty telling story. Well, but like, the, it, it, keep if in we're... mind the
0: seven points were on defense. They scored right. nothing without Tyreek. That's why I'm saying you got to lock right. him in for MVP. But
1: and and that's true but i don't think it's fair to say Kyrie Kill is absolutely the mvp and be incredibly critical of this Dol- this dolphins offense when they don't have
0: the supposed most valuable well, player in the league because i think this revealed how dependent the offense was on him
1: and i mean i feel any like that
0: offense is dependent
1: on the league mvp like like if if Dak went down
0: for the cowboys Je- what Jefferson would went well, quarterback. Jefferson went down for Minnesota. We saw Addison still do a lot of damage those first couple weeks when Jefferson was gone. That's true. That's true. But, why but they is also had... Have... Why is it that Tyreek goes down and all of a sudden every aspect of the offense becomes dysfunctional? Well,
1: well, like you said, Waddle also went down. Like it's
0: Okay, but you still got to be able to run the ball. To...
1: I mean, it's hard to run the ball when you can't threaten to pass one bit. But, and, and that's no what I mean. Is... You
0: still have to be able to, even with it's it. Cedric, uh, Cedric Wilson out Cedric there. Cedric Wilson. Even with Braxton Barrios out there, you have to be able to generate a threat. And I think that falls on Tua not really being the caliber of player we thought he was. I'm not saying he's I mean, a merchant of high caliber talent because, you know, you're you're judged by your ability to execute with the talent you're provided with. But, at the same time, I want to see him do a better job elevating the offense. I want to see Mike McDaniel doing a better job elevating the receiver court, even when those guys are down. Because the fact is, injuries are a part of the game. You have to be prepared for that. Especially when you have receivers like, I don't want to say John Waddle, but Tyreek Hill has an injury history. you got to be prepared for that.
1: I mean... I, I think that's a pretty tough standard to hold the offense to. Like, you know, Cedric Wilson, Braxton Berrios, River Craycraft. Like, none of those they, guys are threatening nothing, anything though. down the field.
0: I'm not saying you gotta get. I wouldn't expect them to get
1: anything. Like really? like I wouldn't expect them to get anything. I just think I, I wouldn't. I mean like, you you like maybe they could have run the ball better, but it's like there are so few teams in the league's history that can run the ball without being at least somewhat of a threat through the air. Like, I think that without Hill and Waddle, like, that is comfortably the worst receiving core in the league. Okay. You're new, not going to be able to threaten the new pass counter down the argument.
0: field. The Patriots, what they did on Thursday. I mean, they, I mean that receiver they, core they, was they, awful, and they still got at least 21.
1: It was, but, I mean, like, they did not win the game – through the rushing attack and don't get me wrong like that receiving court is awful but like juju smith schuster made plays down the field like hunter henry put up two touchdowns on the day like i think that right there is more than anything that this dolphins passing attack is working with like you i think if you say you you take the two best players off of any offense they're going to crumble like i just i think it's too hard of a standard to hold them to like, when you are removing the sole core I just of what's think, going on.
0: I just think it's remarkable that this team went from overwhelming favorites to losing the game because two players went down. One of them came back within, like, three drives, and then the other came back in the halfway through third quarter, even. I want to say, like, early third quarter, even. Like, it, it says a lot in that situation. Like, and again, I'm not saying that they have to have some insane offensive performance, but I don't know. I I I came into this game having more faith in Tua and his ability to execute even without those guys on the field just because he himself is an elevator. And I guess I was just false in that. I, I would have chose Tyreek to win MVP before this game, but now I'm seeing just the extent to which he deserves it, I guess is my point.
1: I, 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 I mean, I agree with you on how valuable Tyreek kill is. I just don't think you can penalize an offense for shutting down when, like, if you're calling him the MVP, any offenses, any offense that loses the MVP, no matter what position they're playing, like they're they're gonna look worse.
0: Well, and yeah, and I expect them to look worse. I'm just surprised. I'm just seeing now the extent to which his value goes, I guess, is my thing.
1: That's fair. I I, I mean, I I agree with that. I just don't think that should be as big of a slight on what the Dolphins' offense is bringing to the table.
0: Well, it will be a slight if Tyreek gets injured again. I I hope, at at worst, I hope that this situation at least inspires McDaniels to have almost a... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? A uh, a uh contingency plan. There we go. A contingency plan for if Tyreek goes down in the future. I hope it's more of a learning experience than anything, because again, Tyreek has the injury history. He does, and maybe it'll be different if Waddle stays healthy while Tyreek is hurt. But I don't know. I don't know. It's a really strange, strange situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, anything, because we've only talked about the team that lost, <laughs> anything on Tennessee's side?
1: Um, Big, big ups to their defensive line tonight. They were able to create a ton, a ton of pressure um, from so many different spots, and it was so many different guys, like, I'm not that, that moved, um, and maybe this performance says otherwise, but. I, I've not been a big fan of their secondary throughout the entirety of this year. Um, they're they're a defense that obviously thrives on their front four, and those guys really did their job tonight. Props to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I the the front absolutely did their job. Uh, I want to comment on the offensive side of the ball because Will Levis beyond that thick six to start the game. Uh, the passes that he was making were ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's the one that has a rocket for a right arm, and he just fires it all over the place. you got to love watching him play. Even if he's not a great quarterback, he's a really fun one to watch. And he's uh, the type of quarterback that I consider a true X-factor because he could really allow them to win any football game with an arm like that that could make plays like that. It, it truly is fun to watch. And yet again, we saw a display of... Derek Henry being used, how no one in the right mind should ever use Derek Henry, and it almost lost them the game here. Uh, why is Derek Henry the pitch man on a fake inside zone toss on first and ten? Why, why is this happening? I mean that that is beyond confusing in my mind. No. They use him like a scat-back. Yeah. I don't get it.
1: No, that that could have been Tajay. Right
0: it there. should have been Tajay. Exactly. In- and then you fake the handoff to Derrick Henry on inside zone. Even though I don't think Derrick Henry's a great zone runner. They've been doing that all year with him. It makes a lot more sense. Tajay should be the outside threat. I don't know why they had this obsession with using Derrick Henry in the worst possible way, constantly, on first downs. It, it makes no sense.
1: Yeah. Um, I... I kind of like – maybe their thought process is like Henry is bursty enough that if we're putting him in situations that the defense wouldn't quite expect, the sort of misdirection of everything will give him enough of a leg up to where he can make a play out of it. That would – like if I really had to decode their thought process, that's probably what I'd come up with. But I do agree with you. Like if you're looking for someone to make a play to the outside – Turned to Tajay
0: Spears. And again, it's first down. Why are you even doing it? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's... first down, weird you're stuff up. Going on. <laughs> like, it, it's beyond. You're trying to outcoach yourself. It, it's really, really idiotic. But anyway, that's all we have for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. Next episode, by the way, uh, on the Prediction Pod, I'm going to flip a coin with every game because th- these games have been way too unpredictable. I'm curious if a coin, a random coin, Heads or tails. Heads will be homes games. Tails will be away games. I'm curious if that will have better luck than me because these games are beyond impossible to predict. So let's see if a coin can do a better job. Why not? Uh, thank you all for listening. If you want more of my content, check out at no huddle NFL no capitals and no spaces on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Also available on Twitter or X at NoHuddleNFL, no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. And if you want to check out Jackson's content. Feel free to plug your stuff. Um at JPOWNFL
1: on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube.
0: Yeah, so it's now two fifteen where I live, so maybe I should get my four hours of sleep before school tomorrow. <laughs> uh thank all of you for listening once again, and I'll see you all again on Thursday.